0: We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It's Wednesday. Already a lot of crazy things happening, crazy stories, and we'll talk about some of them. No doubt it's going to get even crazier as the week goes on. We know that we will probably get beyond our debt limit in this country on Thursday, and if that happens, All shit will fly, so there's going to be a lot of pressure and a lot of tension, and there's going to have to be some things done. We know all the shit show that's going on in the House of Representatives, so we'll see what happens. But before we get down to business, I wanted to bring something up. If you listened to the podcast yesterday, no doubt it sounded similar to the previous 560-plus Rational Boomer podcast, but I will tell you it was different. Different for me, anyway. Now, I've been doing all these audio podcasts, and this is where I feel the most comfortable. All my years in radio, sitting behind a mic with nothing else to worry about, but what I have to say is very comforting for me. I feel at home when I'm doing this. Yet somebody came to me. In fact, one listener suggested it as well. They said, you know, Mike, when you're doing the podcast, you should do a video version of it and put it up on YouTube. And for the life of me, I couldn't understand why that would be a thing. I mean, it's one thing to see this face for two or three minutes on a TikTok, but for a fucking hour plus while I'm doing the podcast, what possible good could come from that? Now, the person I was talking to was saying, well, it's not so much that it's that you might reach some other people on YouTube. And I guess that's probably right. And whether I care about that or not, I'm not sure. But I said, hey, I will give it a try. So yesterday's podcast, I figured I'd do the podcast like I normally do the podcast and just put uh, my phone up and record it. Actually, I didn't do it on my phone. I did it on my computer with a a camera on the computer. And I thought it would be easy. i just videotape what I did. But I found something that was difficult for me. Apparently, I'm not good at multitasking because as much as I want to focus on what I'm doing on the audio podcast, now I have to be concerned with how I look on the camera. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not vain about this. And I can handle the two or three minutes when I do the TikToks. But when I'm doing the podcast, I kind of get into what I'm talking about. I move around a little bit. I drink water. I might even go for periods of time with my eyes closed. That may sound weird to you. But if I'm on a roll on something, sometimes I'll just close my eyes. It's easier for me to concentrate on what I'm saying. My eyes are closed right now. And the problem with that is if I'm on video while I'm doing that, it looks weird and I have enough issues with being weird. I don't need to accentuate that by having video of it to verify it. So I did that yesterday, and I tried to be conscious of the camera and what I was doing in the podcast. And it was fucking uncomfortable. I don't like it. Now, I have a rule in anything I do these days now that I'm retired. If I don't like it, I don't fucking do it. And I love doing the podcast, so I'm not going to stop doing that, but I'm going to stop videotaping this podcast. Now, I know some of you are saying, yeah, well, I like to see it on YouTube. And I said, okay, I need to come up with a compromise. That's a rare commodity these days, since our Congress won't even compromise. But I had to compromise and negotiate with myself. I said, what do I do to keep everybody happy, or at least to the best of my ability, keep them happy? So I decided I'm just going to do the podcast like I do the podcast with no video. But in order to not leave people on YouTube hanging, I would do a different kind of podcast on YouTube. It wouldn't be an hour long. It would have my face in it for whatever fucking reason. And it would be about 20 to 30 minutes long. And it would be kind of a condensed version of what I'm doing here or maybe even a different version. So that's what I did prior to this podcast. I did about a 24-minute thing for YouTube. It's up there. If you want to see it, just go to Rational Boomer uh, Podcast YouTube, or Rational Boomer YouTube, I should say, and you can see that video. It's about 24 minutes. We're going to cover a lot of the things that I covered in that YouTube podcast, but it's fucking better than running the same thing you're listening to now. So, if you want to check it out, that's fine, but that's how I'm going to do it. Now, whether I can do a 20-minute podcast on YouTube every day, I don't know, but I'll be perfectly honest with you. I had no idea that I could do an audio podcast every day, so I'm guessing I probably can pull it off. So, we're back to normal now. I'm doing my weird motions, closing my eyes, drinking my water, moving around. And I'm feeling more comfortable that we're just on the audio version of the podcast. The video will be there, but it won't be of this because this is my kind of uh, happy place. You know what I mean? If I can't be comfortable here, it's really hard to do. And I don't want it to be hard to do. So that's the explanation. Take that for what it's worth. And we'll move the fuck on and get down to business. Now, one of the things I want to talk about is, is, is the shit show that is the Republican Party in the House of Representatives. Uh, we knew it was going to be like this. It took 15 rounds of elections to elect Kevin McCarthy as the Speaker of the House. And even then, it took some uh, jerry-rigging of the Republican Party to get it done. We also have a bunch of people in the House of Representatives on the Republican side that can't agree on anything. So this weakens them immensely. Now, Kevin McCarthy is doing some things that uh, are not surprisingly ill-advised. Now, you remember in the previous session with Nancy Pelosi as the Speaker of the House, Marjorie Taylor Greene, was stripped of all her committee appointments. And she was stripped of these appointments because she's a piece of shit. She said some crazy things and it was justified that they were taken away from her. Fact is she shouldn't have been reelected yet. She was, and she certainly shouldn't be put back on any committees, but we got Kevin McCarthy, as speaker of the house now. And, um, Marjorie Taylor Greene knew it would be helpful to her, so she sidled up next to Kevin McCarthy, supported him all the way, even to the point where it looked like he wasn't going to be elected Speaker of the House. And apparently that pays off, not only for Marjorie Taylor Greene, but some other insurrectionists, other sitting members of the Republican Party in the House of Representatives. Now, the GOP lawmakers, the Republicans, have reinstated Representatives Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia and Paul Gosar of Arizona to House committees nearly two years after Democrats stripped them of their assignments. Multiple news outlets have confirmed this now. On Tuesday, the House GOP Steering Committee, which delegates committee assignments, voted unanimously unanimously, not just the megaphox, unanimously voted to assign Green and Gosar to the Oversight and Accountability Committee. Are you fucking kidding me? The last two people that should be on the Oversight Committee are the two people who need some oversight for the criminal shit they did. But they were appointed to the uh, Oversight Committee. Now, Now, here's the funnier one. Green also was seated on the Homeland Security Committee. A woman who was part of the insurrection, who attempted to overturn an election, to mount a coup against this country, and she is on the Homeland Security Committee. Are you fucking kidding me? The question is, how long will she be on the committee? In fact, how long will she be in Congress? We'll see. She could very well be one of these people that get indictments. Now, Gosar returned to a seat he occupied previously on the Natural Resources Committee. Both representatives, who are staunch supporters of Trump, of course, and, of course, critics of Joe Biden, removed from their respective committees in 2021 following their controversial actions and comments. Now, in February of 2021, the Democrat-controlled House of Representatives removed Green for her committee assignments because of her past racist, anti-Semitic, and violent remarks, including her declaration that she would have been armed and would have won the January 6th election. And she's on the Homeland Security Committee. Isn't that fucking beautiful? Later that year, Gosar tweeted an animated video that portrayed him killing his colleague, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and attacking Biden, which Democrats also deemed grounds for removals from the committee. Now, according to NBC News, Republicans on the Homeland Security Committee will be focused on improving border security and investigating Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, whom GOP leaders have vowed to impeach. That's one of the special plans they have, and how that relates to inflation and gas prices, not quite sure. Meanwhile, the Republican-led Oversight and Accountability Committee intends to launch an investigation into Biden, and and Green appears eager to participate. This is what she said. Joe Biden, be prepared. We're going to uncover every corrupt business dealing, every foreign entanglement, every abuse of power, and every check cut for the big guy. They keep saying that, the big guy, because it showed up somehow in Hunter Biden's laptop. Now, that could be fucking anybody. The idea that Joe Biden would be tied up in any financial dealings with his drug-addicted son, I find that hard to imagine. Green said in a statement on Tuesday, adding that the investigation won't stop at just the Biden family, but also every bit of government being used to abuse the American people. You mean like trying to overthrow the country, Miss Green? Green and Gosar's committee assignments are still waiting ratification by the House Republican Conference, which will occur next week. Now, following Gosar's committee removal in 2021, then-House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy declared that Democratic committee seats would be in danger if the Republicans won the House majority in 2022, which they did by a narrow margin, of course. CNN also reports that Representatives Lauren Boebert and Scott Perry were added to the oversight committee. A couple of other insurrectionists. But here's the good one Guess who else got committee appointments? The fraudster himself, Representative George Santos, has reportedly been assigned to the Small Business Committee and the House Science, Space, and Technology Committee. He must have got on there because of his great education and his master's degree that he didn't get. Or maybe his his work background that he didn't do. Or, you know, in terms of the small business, he might have some impact there. It might be valuable. I mean, you think about a guy who one year was making $55,000 and was evicted from multiple homes because he didn't pay his rent. And then all of a sudden comes up with $700,000 to donate to his campaign out of the fucking blue. Maybe he can offer the small business committee some ideas on how to generate almost a million dollars in 11 months time. This is the troubling thing about George Santos. We knew, we do now know anyway, that a lot of the higher-up Republicans knew he was a fraud, knew there were problems with his resume and the claims he was making, but still they supported him. And one of his most important supporters was Kevin McCarthy himself. Kevin McCarthy said, yeah, I thought he was a little funny, but you still supported him through his campaign up through his election. And now that he's been elected and a lot of this has come to light, come into the public purview, you still support him. You haven't called him out about his crimes. Somebody said, Kevin, what are you going to do about George Santos? And he goes, what kind of crimes did he commit? Well, he committed a bunch of crimes. He just hasn't been indicted as yet. But there's a lot of evidence that he is a total fraud, but apparently Kevin McCarthy is not willing to act on that. And is it because George Santos is such a great prospect in the House of Representatives? I think not. The reason he is not going to do anything to George Santos, and the reason most Republicans won't do anything about George Santos, is because they have a slim margin in the House. If George Santos gets kicked out, that margin becomes even slimmer. George Santos also supported Kevin McCarthy for um, Speaker of the House. Fact is, they needed his vote to win it on the 15th ballot. Without George Santos, Kevin McCarthy still wouldn't be Speaker of the House. So a little quid pro quo for Kevin McCarthy and George Santos. You know, you look at the House of Representatives on the Republican side, it's almost laughable. It's a little frightening, but it's just laughable. The incompetence, the lack of integrity, the lack of credibility. And what do they do to these people? And there's a number of them in the House of Representatives on the Republican side, not just Santos. There's um, Gosar and Bobert and Green and Matt Gates, who's under investigation for child sex trafficking. All these people don't even get a side look by Kevin McCarthy. They get a pass, not because they even agree with the things they did. is because they only care about the power they have in the House of Representatives. And because their power is so minimal, they're going to hold on to anybody, no matter how despicable these humans are. And therein lies the problem in the House of Representatives. But you also throw in the fact that uh, they have a difficult time agreeing with anybody, which means they're not going to get much accomplished. And even if they do want to get some of these things accomplished, like investigations into Biden or Hunter Biden's laptop or Mayorkas or whatever the fuck they want to do, the fact is they can do whatever they want. And if somehow they get it past the House, no way it's passing the Senate because the Democrats have the majority. And if it did get past the Senate, it'd go to Joe Biden. No way Joe Biden signing it. So this is a lot of matriculation, just fucking around, just to make noise. They aren't going to accomplish anything. There's no way the Democrats are going to let anything like this crazy shit pass. So we'll watch them do what they do. And I know a lot of people are afraid of what they're going to do, but don't be. They can't accomplish anything. And what this is going to do is expose them for who they are, and it's going to have a serious impact on them on 2024. They will accomplish nothing, and they will be held accountable for the House of Representatives not accomplishing anything. They're going to be going after these crazy investigations, and for whatever reason they don't know, that's part of the reason they lost the midterms. So I say let them go. Let them look foolish. Let them look stupid. It'll just cost them election. It'll cost them election after election. Now, after 2024 hits and they get destroyed, which they will, they'll probably sit back and say, you know, maybe we should do something different. Now, in fact, they should have done that four years ago, but they aren't bright enough. Instead, they doubled down and thought they could bully their way through. Well, as it's turning out now, clearly that's not going to work. It's not worked at all. But it's going to take another failure in 2024 before they decide, you know, maybe we better change this up. And even if they decide to do it after 2024, it's probably going to take five or ten years before they fix anything, if they ever fix it. Again, what I've said before, they have big problems ahead of them. As farther out they go, the more millennials and Gen Zs are going to be... uh, the majority of the voters in this country, and then the Republicans are done. We are seeing the waning moments, the last, last gasps by the Republican Party. And they are going to go out with a whimper. They're going to go out loud and proud and causing all kinds of problems. So we have to be on top of this, and we have to make sure that they're under control one way or another. And one of the reasons we have to do that is because as much as they've been pretty despicable up to this point, we know they have a capacity to get worse, especially when they're in a corner and they're flailing and there's no way out. They will lash out. They may even get violence. And we're already seeing signs of that. Now, this is a small event comparatively to the United States in general, but this is serious and this is dangerous. A failed New Mexico GOP candidate charged with shooting at homes of Democratic politicians visited the officials beforehand to dispute his 2020 election loss, according to a new report that just came out. Now, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. The guy's name is Solomon Pena. He is a Republican. He was arrested on Monday. He was up for election for a a state seat. I don't know if it was a rep or a state senator or what, but he was up for a seat. Now, he got beat. You remember the good old days when a Republican got their ass kicked and They screamed and cried and went in the media and made claims and gaslighted people. And then when that didn't work, they filed a lawsuit and they lost the lawsuit. Then they had an appeal. They lost that appeal. Then another appeal. They lost that appeal. And so on and so forth. Well, apparently some Republicans have learned a lesson. Hey, that doesn't work. We can cry and scream and lie all we want, but it doesn't work. So we got to kick this up a fucking notch. So what does Solomon Pena do? He hires four guys with guns, goes to these Democrats' houses, and shoots up the houses. There were at least six shootings between December 4th and January 5th. Thank God nobody was hit by a bullet, nobody was injured, and nobody died. But this motherfucker... Thought there was election fraud. Thought the election was rigged. Thought he was ripped off. That the Democrats did him dirty. Now what you have to understand about Solomon Pena, he lost his election by 47%. Not 7%, 47%. Now if it was election fraud, it had to be a fucking doozy. <laughs> it's unbelievable. You you had to corrupt 40 per, 47% of the voting public. Now, how do you do that? Do the Democrats go out and pay off half the voters? I, I find that hard to believe. Now, of course, Pena was caught, and so were the four co conspirators with him on these shootings. And how was he caught? Well, you know, Republicans are dumb motherfuckers. There's no question. They not only do stupid stuff, they expose themselves. They make themselves complicit. They are implicating themselves at every turn because, as I said before the shootings, Pena visited the homes of his alleged targets to complain that the election he lost for state house was fraudulent. So I'm sure what happened was they call the cops after people are shooting at their houses and uh The cops come and go, do you have any enemies, anybody that doesn't like you? And I'm sure they said, well, there was this crazy fuck that came to our house and was complaining to us. You may want to check with him. And of course they did. And it didn't take long for them to determine that he was the guy behind all of this. Now, one commissioner said, Pena came to my house right after the November election." Uh, this was County Commissioner Adrian Barboa. She told NBC News this. He was sort of erratic in the points he was trying to make about the election and about uh, how many doors he knocked on and how the number of votes didn't match. Barboa said she called the police after Pena's visit. He was at my door and he was aggressive. He was an election denier, she said on December 4th. Eight gunshots were fired at her home. Well, it doesn't take a genius to put that to fucking gather, does it? Former County Commissioner Debbie O'Malley told NBC News that Pena also visited her home and was angry about losing the election. He felt the election was unfair and untrue, O'Malley said, adding that she later called the police on December 11th, where her home was struck by a dozen bullets. Hmm, sounds like a pattern to me a pattern by a stupid fucking criminal. Now here's the interesting thing about Pena. This criminal activity isn't new to Pena. Pena previously served seven years in prison for a 208 or 2008 smash-and-grab robbery. He was able to run for office after a judge ruled that laws barring convicted felons from office was unconstitutional. His Democratic opponent, defeated him by 47%. (laughs) Imagine that, a convicted felon that spent seven years in jail for a smash-and-grab robbery lost the election. What are the odds of that, for fuck's sake? But here's the problem. You got somebody like this who does this, and you might say, well, he's crazy. But remember... The people before him tried all their other strategies, screaming and yelling and suing and appealing and all that sort of stuff, and it didn't work. Now, these people haven't changed their minds about election fraud. They're going to want to fight against future elections where they lose and claim fraud. If they know what they've done before doesn't work, do they kick it up a notch? Do they copycat what this idiot did in New Mexico? Well, it's hard to say, and I hope that... They don't, but we know this copycat shit does kind of spread. I'll give you a case in point. We have the toothless redneck Trumplefucks who stormed the U.S. Capitol on January 6, broke into the Capitol, killed and injured police officers, tried to stop the legal certification of a fair and legal presidential election. We know they did this. Now, people in this country are thinking maybe they'll try it again. I don't think that's the case because they're in a much different situation. They don't have the protection of a president, an attorney general, members of Congress, and uh, their whole card of Supreme Court justice. They don't have that anymore. They knew when they went in there that they would not get much pushback. And that's the only time a bully, and that's what these fucks are, are bullies, that's the only time they will go into a situation. If they think they're going to get pushback or maybe even lose, they won't go anywhere near that. Now with Joe Biden in office, the Democrats in the House and the Senate, with Merrick Garland as the Attorney General, and uh, Clarence Thomas and his wife under investigation, they don't have the protection they once had. So I don't expect large groups of people attacking the Capitol or other federal buildings. That said, we will get various and a sundry crazy fucks like this guy Pena in New Mexico. So mad, so upset, even though he lost by 47% decides to shoot up some houses. I don't know what he thought he would accomplish. Did he think, well, they'd be so scared that they say, here, Pena, take take, take your job. You scare me too much. You get the position, even though you weren't legally voted into that position. Now, of course, that's not going to happen. Of course, the police are going to get involved. And because he's a stupid motherfucker, it took two minutes to track it back to him. Now, as dumb as that is... You might get copycats. The insurrection, for example, we got a copycat there. Almost the very same thing happened in Brazil. Bolsonaro gets, elect, gets voted out, and they start the insurrection activity down in Brazil. And where does Bolsonaro go? He goes to Florida. He talks to Trump. He talks to a bunch of Trump acolytes. And it's as if they were kind of consulting him on how to mount a coup, which is weird because they failed. And, of course, Bolsonaro failed. And as long as these stupid people will be doing these stupid things, they will fail. But the problem is, in the process, a lot of people get hurt, including the countries where it happened. So will other people follow what Peña did and start shooting up houses? Common sense would tell you no. But we know Republicans don't have any common sense or logic. So it's conceivable we could see some copycats. So it's important we take this guy down one way or another. Put him away forever. And frankly, if anybody else tries such a thing, there should be force met with force. I know that sounds mean. But when you have terrorists attacking politicians, attacking our buildings, these are terrorists. And there's only one way to deal with terrorists, take them out. I'm sorry to say that, but we can't negotiate with these fucks. They don't listen to reason. They are bullies, so they need to be frightened. And the only way to frighten these fucks is to make them accountable, either by jail terms or something worse. Again, I hate the idea that I would even suggest that. But these are serious times. These are dangerous times. People in our politics are at risk. Their lives are at risk because of these crazy fucks. It must be stopped. We can't allow it to continue. And we have to take any measure it requires to stop them. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Hi friends, I'm Trisden and I host a podcast called Extreme Common Sense with Trisden and Ray. Our politics lean left, but since we live in Kentucky, we're forced on a daily basis to deal with our right-wing friends. So our goal is to bring people together and stay sane as Democrats in central Kentucky. If you love the Rational Boomer, you'll probably like us as well. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts. That's Extreme Common Sense with Trisden and Ray. Trisden is spelled T-R-I-Z-D-O-N. That may make it easier to find. Thanks for listening. Now, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, fraudster George Santos is being called out a lot. And as much as he's a fraud, as much as he's lied about everything coming into office in the House of Representatives, he was placed on some committees by Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy. But here's the thing with George Santos. He keeps doubling down, and he says he's going to stay in office. And I'll grant you, it's hard to get a member of Congress kicked out of the House of Representatives. Why that is, I'm not sure. You would think that would be one protection our government had against getting people that were less than ethical or even criminal in our government. But apparently there's no safety valve for that. Why? I don't know, but that's something we need to look at, something that should be changed. Not just any criminal or liar or fraud should be able to be elected to a position of power, a position to represent a district. Now, to be perfectly honest with you, the Republicans should have flushed this out, and it sounds like they did, but they decided to do nothing. But at the same time, you would have to believe the Democrats did some background checks and some investigation. Why didn't they say something? Why didn't they do something? That's a good question. Why wouldn't they? If they could prove that he is a liar and a cheat, wouldn't you do something before he got into the House of Representatives and potentially do some damage? You would think that they would do that. some people are suggesting they knew all along how bad this guy was. They'd wait till he's in office and then expose him. And I understand that strategy. It just weakens the Republican Party even more. But I'm a little concerned about that because this man can do some damage to this country because he's in his current position. It's not going to be easy to kick him out of Congress in spite of who he fucking is. He certainly won't get reelected elected two years from now, but two years is a long time. Democrats should have shut this down beforehand, but I have a feeling they didn't, because they wanted to add to the shit show that it is the Republican Party in the House of Representatives. Now, one of his fellow, one of uh, Santos's fellow representatives from his home state of New York, a guy by the name of Representative Nick LaLatta called for the Department of Justice and Federal Elections Commissions to freeze any campaign assets held by fellow Rep. George Santos on Sunday. Lolata pointed to the ongoing maelstrom around Santos' successful run for the office amid revelations. He lied about his resume, and he clearly did. Santos has admitted he lied about some of his credentials, but he said he would remain in office to serve out his two-year term. He says, oh yeah, I lied, but everybody exaggerates on their resume. Well, not to that extent, motherfucker. And if everybody else did exaggerate to that extent on their resume, they would be immediately terminated. So we're talking about a vastly different situation. If people exaggerate their resumes, they don't lie about everything like he did. So now this representative, another representative from New York, says they should freeze all his campaign assets, all his funding. And that makes a lot of sense. Why would you give this guy the ability to grift even more money than he already has? Now, there are growing questions about Santos' campaign finances and concerns he might have, might have flouted federal rules. Yeah, you think? <laughs> to the extent there is actually any real money in the campaign account of Congressman George Santos, the fund should be immediately frozen. Lalata said in the statement, Congressman Santos fraudulently solicited these funds and Santos shouldn't be allowed to drain his campaign account while multiple authorities investigate the very fraud that induced these contributions. He told people one thing, they weren't true, and he took their money. Now this Lalata went on to renew his call for Santos to resign from office. Everybody's asked him to resign from office, well, except um, some of the MAGA folks and Kevin McCarthy. Lolata is one of six House Republicans to call for his resignation. He also called for an ethics inquiry into Santos' conduct. (laughs) At the very least, that should fucking happen. But when the Republicans control the House, do you think it will? Probably not. Now, FEC data shows that most of Santos' campaign funds have already been spent, or at least pocketed, noting that the congressman has just under 50000 left in the bank. Now, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy said Monday he had always had a few questions about Santos' resume, but the speaker is largely rebuffed any calls to kick him out of Congress. Recent reports indicate that some members of GOP leadership and top Republican aides were aware of the fabrications. We talked about that earlier. We know, in fact, that many people knew this guy was a fraud, knew he was a criminal, knew he was corrupt, he was a grifter. They knew that, but they said nothing. Not only did they say nothing, but they supported him. And as I said earlier, Kevin McCarthy still supports him, even after all we know or don't know about George Santos. Again, it goes back to the thin margin of majority that the Republicans have in the House. Getting rid of George Santos would make that even thinner. And while this guy is a criminal, a liar, a fraud... That doesn't really matter as long as it means Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans in the House get to maintain power. These people were elected and are paid to serve this country and serve the people in this country. Yet here is a prime example that shows that these people only really care about their own enrichment and their own power. And that should be something in the forefront of Republicans' minds next time we come to an election. Now, we know for a lot of these people it won't because they're dumb as fuck. They don't listen or they don't care. But the one thing we can do, if nothing else, is to continue to expose George Santos, continue to expose the Republicans who have basically been accessories to the crimes with George Santos, keep exposing them, keep it in the narrative, keep it loud and proud, just like the Republicans would do, and make sure none of these fucks get reelected in 2022. Now, there's two women in the House of Representatives that have no business being in the House of Representatives. They're complete idiots, insurrectionists, treasonists, buffoons, and just plain stupid. Yet somehow, both these next two representatives somehow got reelected. That must be a commentary on the people who live in their districts. If you know what you know about Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene, why would you vote for them again? Either you agree with the treasonous shit they do, or you're just stupid. I don't know which one it is, and I don't know which one I'd be more worried about. But the interesting thing is these two women, who were partners in crime, literally, are now feeling a little tension. Yep, tension between Lauren Bobert and Marjorie Taylor Greene. And it boiled over into a confrontation in a woman's restroom at the U.S. Capitol. That seems so appropriate. These are the two same kinds of women that would get in a catfight in a woman's bathroom in a 3-2 bar in the middle of fucking nowhere. Unfortunately, this isn't a 3-2 bar. This is the U.S. Capitol. Now, this squabble took place on January 3rd, on the first day of the new Congress in the House Speaker's lobby ladies' room. And sources told the Daily Beast that lawmakers feuded over their perceived loyalty to Kevin McCarthy as he tried to secure enough votes to become House Speaker. So we know where the problem is here. Marjorie Taylor Greene latched on to Kevin McCarthy because she figured he'd be Speaker of the House and that would afford her some power or some clout or some leverage over Kevin McCarthy, and it certainly did. Now, Lauren Boebert was tied to those Magafox that didn't want to elect uh, Kevin McCarthy. And the fact is, it wasn't that they didn't want to elect Kevin McCarthy. Before he got elected, they wanted to coerce him and take away his power and give the power to the Magafox, and they were successful with that. Now, while we were in the run-up for the election, the 15 ballots green questioned bobert's loyalty to mccarthy and after a few words were exchanged bobert stormed out said one source familiar with the argument oh she was upset she stormed out in her stripper her stripper uh, heels clicking all the way down the hallways of the house of representatives so green said to her You're okay taking millions of dollars from McCarthy, but you refuse to vote for him for Speaker Lauren, according to another source familiar with the confrontation who saw this thing. The first source said Green came out of a bathroom stall and confronted Boebert, who had been unaware the Georgia Republican was in the restroom for talking campaign money from McCarthy and then turning against him in the Speaker voting that's when Lauren said, Don't be ugly, the first said, adding that Boebert then ran out like a little schoolgirl. Boebert declined to comment on the matter, saying only, See you later, bye, and Green did not respond to her request for comment. Now, here's what I've got to say about Lauren Boebert. I have to give her a little credit. She said, Don't be ugly. Well, with Marjorie Taylor Green, she's a little late on that one because Marjorie Taylor Green is a Neanderthal looking bitch who is not that attractive and her personality makes her even less attractive. So, you know, Bobert wasn't exactly wrong. <clears throat> Representative Debbie Dingell of Michigan allegedly witnessed the near screaming match, according to sources, but she declined three separate times to describe what she saw in any way, shape, or form. She said, what happens in the ladies' room stays in the ladies' room. Oh, that's Did you write that? Did you write, did you make that phrase up? I just love this, though, because it shows how the closest of friends, and they were the closest of friends, are fighting amongst themselves. They see Democrats as their foe, but they can't get to the foe while they're fighting with themselves. And the fighting didn't stop there. Apparently some resentment lingers within the Republican caucus following the contentious voting for Kevin McCarthy. Some members still bitter over the deals cut by the California Republican to get the support he needed to prevail. He sold his soul to the devil, or in this case, the MAGA Fox, the Trumple Fox. He literally sold his soul and his future to MAGA. Well, there's another rep by the name of Vern Buchanan. He, he was reportedly considered retirement after he pa- he was passed over uh, for chairman of the powerful House Ways and Means Committee in favor of McCarthy ally Representative Jason Smith. Now, Vern Buchanan really believed that he was going to be the. Um, chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, and that's a very powerful committee. Now, I don't know much about Buchanan's background, but I'm guessing he's not a MAGA fuck, and I'm guessing he is not as big an ally with McCarthy, but he put in his time. He he paid his dues, and he expected that he would be the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. The publication that Buchanan reported that Buchanan exploded after losing his potential spot on the committee. Again, Republicans fighting with Republicans. And what Buchanan said to McCarthy, I just love. Buchanan looked at McCarthy and said, you fucked me. I know it was you. You whipped against me. Buchanan then turned to McCarthy's deputy chief of staff, John Legansky, and let him have it, which surprised House Insider's. It was shocking to see such fury from Buchanan, who's known for being mild-mannered. Indeed, I heard that tirade was so heated that the speaker's security detail stepped in with a light touch. Now, Buchanan, whose team says he does not intend to retire, had been the most senior member of the Ways and Means Committee, while Smith was fifth in line before he got elevated to chairman. McCarthy spokesman Matt Sparks denied that security got involved in the verbal outburst by Buchanan, and at no point did anyone have to step in, Sparks said, which we know is a fucking lie. Because everything that comes out of the Republicans' mouth is a fucking lie. But again, it goes back to what I've said before. We've got Republicans fighting against Republicans. <laughs> I love this. It's, it's, it's really going to be a dumpster fire. It's going to be a shit show. For two years, this is what's going to go on in the House of Representatives. They will get nothing accomplished, and anything they try to get accomplished will get shut down, at the very least, by the Senate and or the President. But they're going to have a tough enough time getting it through the House because most of the House doesn't side with the trump It's a mess for them. They know it's a mess. They know they don't have power. Now, they come out acting like they have power, but that's what Republicans do. They make ridiculous claims. They double down. They try to bully their way through. Well, it's not going to work. And for two years, they will look like fools fighting amongst each other. Let's talk about George Santos. I need to talk about something funny. All right. A former acquaintance of Representative George Santos, not a friend, a acquaintance, on Tuesday added some new details to the scandal plague Congressman's cultural appropriation of the Jewish faith and religion. We're hearing all kinds of shit coming to light. We heard that uh, somebody, maybe a serviceman had a uh, um, uh, a dog, you know, one of those helper dogs with the vest and stuff like that, and it was sick. And George Santos fundraised $3,000 to get the dog some, uh, some help, some medical help. But now this gentleman is saying, in fact, George Santos just stole the money. Oh, big surprise, and his dog is now dead. That's just one of the many things that are coming out now. Now, during an interview with CNN's Anderson Cooper, Santos' former roommate, Gregory Maury Parker, said that he knew Santos by two names. We don't even know his name. We got three different names. He's going by Santos, George Santos. But this former roommate knew him as Anthony DeVolder and Anthony Zebrowski with Zabrowski being the last name Santos used for his fake pet charity GoFundMe page. He would say, oh, well, the Jews will give me more if you're a Jew, Maury Parker quoted his former roommate. So he wanted to be perceived as a Jew because he felt the Jews would give him more money, which to me sounds anti-Semitic. But still, he collects the money, and instead of giving it to the appropriate people in the charity, he fucking pockets it. The two would only live together for a couple of months, but it was long enough for Maury Parker to witness Santos' deception firsthand. Now, Maury Parker recalled Santos stealing a scarf from him that he ended up wearing on the January sixth insurrection. Can you imagine that? This roommate. It was. A, it was a, It was a nice. Burberry scarf. George Santos or whatever his name is stole it from this guy and then on January 6th when he's up at the podium giving his speech there's that same scarf around his neck and as I said he also lent credence to a story about Santos allegedly stealing $3,000 from a veteran that was supposed to go to his dying service dog. Uh, He's a sweetheart of a guy. You think the uh, law's going to catch up with him? I think they're going to. Maury Parker proved the closeness of his relationship with Santos by sending in a photograph of him and Santos' mother, who lived near him, and Santos. Maury Parker describes Santos' mother as a very, very, very sweet, sweet woman. The public outcry over Santos doesn't shock Maury Parker. Everything he said to me was a lie after just living with him for two months. I told you, it's always great to look at uh, the lighter side of the news. This buffoon, this idiot that is now in the House of Representatives representing New York and the Republican Party. And all the Republicans love him. They've embraced him, in spite of the fact he's a fraud. So it's safe to say that uh, the Republican Party is a fraudulent party. They lie, they cheat, they steal. Now, if you happen to be a follower of the Republican Party, I would have to ask why. Are you stupid or are you a crook? Because you have to be one of them. Now, the January 6th House Select Committee was uploading a lot of evidence And they uploaded a spreadsheet in late December showing seven full days of the White House visitor logs in the weeks leading up to the January 6th riot. The Excel spreadsheets were among hundreds of documents posted online last month by the committee as it wrapped up its investigation, allowing the public to finally see the visitor manifest that Donald Trump spent his entire presidency trying to shield and Politico posted them in a searchable format and analyzed the findings. Now, these logs aren't exhaustive and cover only the dates December 12th, 14th, 18th, and 21st of 2020, and then January 3rd to the 5th on 2021, and do not show the specific purposes of the visits or identify visitors beyond their names. So there's a lot of names you may not know or may not recognize, but there are some that you do. The logs do shed light on events covered by the January 6th investigation, such as the chaotic Oval Office meeting on December 18th when outside advisors such as Sidney Powell and Patrick Byrne. Now, who's Patrick Byrne? He's the former CEO of Overstock, and he's a Trump-humping piece of shit. And Patrick Byrne suggested seizing voting machines and provided an accounting of the Fox News broadcasters and others who met with Trump in the final weeks. The logs also show five staffers for then-Representative Devin Nunes of California, who's now apparently the CEO of Truth Social, that- slowly dying piece of shit app. Devin Nudis reviewed documents that Trump intended to declassify, and a number of artists and photographers visited the president's private residence in the same period for reasons that are not listed. Now, one of the people, one of the groups of people that Donald Trump has uh, courted over the years, ironically, are the evangelicals? He just wanted their votes. The last guy in the world that is a religious guy, or that follows the tenets of Jesus and the Bible, would be Donald Trump. He is a sinner from the word go. Now, during a recent interview, Donald Trump chided evangelical leaders who have yet to endorse him for 2024. He counted on the evangelicals in 2016, and they were faced with the fact that a deeply immoral man was the GOP's candidate for president. They swallowed hard and supported him, knowing that Trump was the best way to reach their goals. Mike Pence, the governor of Indiana, was made the running mate to placate religious voters. We know why the evangelicals wanted him because they felt it was their one shot to overturn Roe v. Wade. Turns out they were right. It happened. But now that the evangelicals, as godly as they are, have gotten what they want, now they can step back and hold their nose because of Donald Trump. (laughs) It's interesting, isn't it? These people claim to be holier than thou and follow Jesus and follow the Bible. But they accepted all the sins and all the immorality that Donald Trump possessed in order to get their one thing. And the moment they get their one thing, they say, fuck you, we're done with you because you're a piece of shit. Now, during his time in office, the 45th president placed three justices on the Supreme Court, which is what they wanted to do, and they're all sympathetic to the evangelical causes. They voted to overturn Roe v. Wade, and for this, Trump believes he should have their undying support. Trump does that a lot. He doesn't understand politics. You seat some federal judges with lifetime terms, and he figures they owe them, owe him. But when he needs them, for whatever reason, they don't support him. They won't go to the well for him. And why won't they? Because they know he's a piece of shit. They'll follow him until they get what they want. And then when they get it, he'll say, fuck you. Because that's what these people do. And the reason they can say, fuck you, is because they've got lifetime terms. Donald Trump can't touch them anymore. In an interview with David Brody, Trump was asked about religious leaders like Robert Jeffress, who have yet to endorse him. The former president told the host, it's a sign of disloyalty. There's a great disloyalty in the world of politics, and that's a sign of disloyalty. Jeffress was asked about Trump's comments by Jack Jenkins of Religious News, And he said, Recently, I said to President Trump privately and on Fox News publicly that President Trump was our greatest president since Reagan and had done more for evangelicals than any president in history. Furthermore, I predicted that the evangelicals would ultimately coalesce around him as the GOP nominee for 2024, and I would happily and enthusiastically support him. Hopefully, President Trump doesn't think of me as being disloyal for not volunteering a primary endorsement he has not requested from me. Oh, I bet he loves that. Yeah, Donald Trump will have some things to say about that, and they won't be pleasant. And, um... Let's be honest, if we get to 2024 and Donald Trump, for some reason, some remote reason, actually becomes the candidate, and I don't believe that's even possible, the evangelicals will probably coalesce around him. And you know what? Donald Trump is such an idiot. He'll accept them because anybody that speaks kindly of Donald Trump is his buddy, and he believes he can get something from them. The evangelicals were using Donald Trump, and Donald Trump was using them. They both got what they fucking deserved. Senate Majority Leader Charles Schumer and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, they're about set to test each other's mettle as they battle over the debt limit government funding and the 2024 election. Now, the two leaders don't have much of a personal relationship, according to congressional aides and strategists, and their working relationship is off to a rocky start with Schumer accusing McCarthy and his House GOP colleagues of pushing an extreme agenda. Well, that's true, and uh, that they would undercut women's health care and cut Medicare and Social Security benefits, which is true. Despite the shots, Schumer is hoping to develop enough rapport with McCarthy to avoid a government shutdown and to pass a debt ceiling hike that would prevent downgrading of the nation's credit or worse. Now what you have to understand, if they don't pass the debt ceiling hike, it would and could crash the economy in this country, but not just in this country, across the world. The effects of not raising the debt ceiling would be devastating to all of us and to many across the world. I don't believe for a minute that the Republicans will be successful in halting the debt ceiling hike. I don't think they will do it. I don't even think they want to do it because as much as it would hurt the middle class, it's going to hurt the rich as well. And that won't work well for them in 2024. It'll be just another thing to shut everything down for the Republicans and end them permanently. So I don't think they will do it. But they are trying to use it as leverage to get things they want. And some of the things they want include getting rid of uh, Medicare and, and Social Security. Well, that will never happen. It just won't happen. The things they're saying about Social Security affecting the debt is a lie. It doesn't affect the debt at all. It's a different circumstance. It's different funding. It doesn't affect the debt at all. But they will use that in their narrative in order to scare people. What I find amazing is that These Republicans or trump that vote for these guys are in these red states that are struggling financially. A lot of poor people in these states, and a lot of these people count on Social Security. Why would you vote for people who want to take your only source of income? But that's exactly what they've done. Now, bigger legislative deals are much less likely, as is a warmer working relationship. There's no reason up until now for them to have a relationship said Rodell Molyneux, a Democrat strategist and former aide to the late Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid. He noted that it doesn't help McCarthy with his own GOP conference to be compromising with Schumer. Because you know what's going to happen when he compromises with Schumer. The MAGA fucks are going to get mad. They're going to ask for a vote of confidence. And then Kevin McCarthy is out. Then once again, they're going to have to try to elect another speaker of the house and they're going to have the same problems now mccarthy has developed a back-channel relationship of sorts with senate minority leader mitch mcconnell according to the gopa mccarthy and mcconnell don't often make public appearances together but aides say they have a good relationship and meet regularly i find that hard to believe As much as Mitch McConnell is evil, he is smart, and Kevin McCarthy is an idiot. Mitch McConnell knows he's an idiot. It's because of McConnell, or it's because of McCarthy and the MAGA fucks that they lost the midterm elections. Mitch McConnell knows this, and he's got to have some disdain for Kevin McCarthy and his stupidity. A GOP leadership aide told The Hill that two leaders try to meet at least once every congressional work period and rotate meetings between their offices using a private hallway between two chambers. God forbid we see them actually connecting up. McConnell and McCarthy have repeatedly split in public over high-profile bills such as the $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill, legislation to address gun violence after the school shooting in Uvalde, a $280 billion Dollar bill to uh, help the domestic semiconductor industry, and the year-end 1.7 trillion omnibus spending package. Will these uh, people ever come together? Will they ever work something out? I doubt it. I mean, frankly, these people haven't shown any kind of ability to compromise with the Democrats, certainly, but they can't even do it amongst themselves. And this is going to cost them big. They are going to accomplish nothing. And when they accomplish nothing, they will pay the price in 2024. The Democrats are going to throw this in their faces and use it in their campaign, saying they're do-nothing Republicans. Two years, they did nothing but argue and try to pass conspiracy theory bills. And that will be the end of the Republican Party, at least in the House of Representatives. So we'll keep our fingers crossed. We're going to have to sit and watch a shit show for two years in order to get to that point, but we'll do what we have to do. The Senate can pass some things. They certainly can appoint some federal judges. Like I've said before, what they need to do is just appoint as many federal judges as they can do. There's no point in trying to fight with people who don't want to do anything. We've seen Congress waste a lot of time and Biden waste a lot of time trying to work on bipartisan bills. They don't work. The Republicans don't want anything to happen. So instead of wasting time doing that, you should focus on those things you can do. And appointing federal judges is one of those things. Let's appoint more federal judges than any other president in the history of America. That will sting for the Republicans. And it will allow them to just spin their wheels and look stupid in hopes that in 2024 enough people recognize it so we get these fucks out of office. All right, we are going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. I hope you have a great day, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.